quick warning that this episode contains references to suicide, plus some strong language. Okay, if we can't have fun while crying, what's the point of crying? (laughs) That's how I feel. Okay, so I'm Nora McNerney. I'm Nora McNerney. If I say it enough, I'll believe it. Um, I'm Nora McNerney, and this is terrible. Thanks for asking. Our guest this week is Chris. It's funny, whenever you try to describe your own childhood, because it's normal, there's really not much to talk about. I, I suppose I would I would say middle-class normality. I had a nice childhood, nice upbringing, and still do. Very supportive family, very loving environment. Yeah, very steady, and look back on that with a lot of fondness. Not a lot of things I would change. And that's the end of our interview with Chris. It was good, right? Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can have a normal childhood and still be a part of this show. If you can't tell from the title of this podcast or from listening to any episode of this podcast, this is a show about not making people feel like they have to be okay with the hard things in life and also not making people feel like they have to measure the hard things that they've been through against someone else's hard things. So it's fine that Chris had a happy childhood. Good for him. Chris is 29, and he grew up like many children of the 90s, myself included, being told that he could be anything he wanted to be and that he could do anything he wanted to do. Now, before you freak out like I did, yes, Chris is from England, and yes, I am a Midwestern American, and the power of an English accent is just alarming, the power it holds over me. It really is. I made Chris say a lot of things truly for my own enjoyment. They have nothing to do with the story. You can just listen to him say where he grew up. I grew up in uh, Starport on Severn in Worcestershire in uh, the West Midlands in England. Listen to him tell us about his favorite sport. Uh, this will make no sense to most of your American audience. Um, I am a massive fan of the game of cricket, which I will not try and explain at all. God, don't you just want to sit with him and have a cup of tea? Maybe a crumpet? A biscuit, maybe? That's cookie in English. I'm done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done, and I hope you are too, because Chris is just a person with a beautiful accent, and so am I. So, Chris's parents, who gave him that lovely childhood, they were both academics, and Chris grew up with a lot of pressure to be bright, to be good at school and just perform academically. And he did. He got excellent grades, and he was also into sports. He loved cricket, as he mentioned. And then... High school happened. High school, high school, high school, high school. It's just a universal truth that high school is the pits. Even the popular kids that you think back on and you're like, man, they had it all. They hated it too. They just hated it in a different way than you did. And Chris had every reason to hate it extra hard. High school was when Chris realized that his parents, like all of our parents were liars. It was cricket season, and Chris wanted to join the team. I, growing up, always, you know, participated in in playing cricket, watching cricket, you know, playing cricket with mates, you know, uh, sports clubs over the summer, 
you know, massive fan of the game, still am. So Chris did what every kid should do, you know, like just go up to the coach before tryouts and let them know, hey, I'm interested in joining your team. So keep an eye out for me because I'll be at tryouts. I would have been, this was year 10, so I would have been 14 going on 15. The coach gave Chris a once over and with one sentence crushed his dreams. And he said, oh, yes, you can be our scorer. You can be the scorer. You can keep score. That's like being told, you know, you could just sit on the bench and not be on the team. Chris didn't go up to the coach and say, hey, I would love to be the scorer. If he'd wanted to be the scorer, he would have said, hey, coach, I would love to be your scorer. No, he had said, I want to try out because he wanted a chance to try out. He wanted a chance to play. And at that moment, I thought, oh, shit. You know, I am not taken seriously and I'm not seen for what it is that I want to do and what I'm trying to do. Because I knew that I knew I wasn't going to make the team. I knew that. But it was that moment of of saying, no, you, what are you even talking about? This does not apply to you. Do you want to be scorer? No, I want to play. And I'll play badly, and that's fine. It's not like Chris didn't know he was different. There was no hiding the fact that Chris had cerebral palsy, or we're going to call it CP for the rest of the show because we can't figure out how to pronounce it and whether to do it the English way or the American way, so we're calling it CP. Yeah, I was born two months premature and um, uh, was not a very healthy baby um, for a long time. But um, I have cerebral palsy, which means that it's essentially a brain injury. And in my case, that's caused by the premature birth. So there are uh, muscle groups, parts of my body, my and particularly for me and my legs and back and abs and various other places that, where the muscles just don't talk to the brain as they should. And so it was sort of explained, as you might explain that to a young child, you know, your feet don't talk to your brain. Yeah, so you had good parents. <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, very strong parents. And Chris's whole life, his parents had been really upfront with him. They told him, look, buddy, your brain just doesn't talk to your feet. And here's what that means for Chris. It means sometimes Chris walks haltingly and with difficulty, and sometimes he uses a cane or a stick, as he calls it. And sometimes he uses a wheelchair because physical effort can be exhausting for Chris. But Chris's parents also didn't make a big deal out of his CP. They just gave him the facts. It was never a thing. It wasn't ignored. Endless physio and and surgery off and on up until the age of 13. But it was just a fact of life. And, you know, because it wasn't taboo. It didn't matter. Chris wasn't a precious, fragile creature to his parents. They didn't pity him or make their other kids treat him special. But it was very much a case of, okay, so here's the situation. You have this disability, but we're going to carry on and we're going to, if you want to do something, if you want to join the Scouts, fine, we'll make that work. If you want to, you know, go out and play football and cricket, fine, we'll see what we can do about that. So it was always very, very positive. So 
parents encouraging Chris to live on the positive side. No pity from them. But, and this is like, this is the thing with raising kids. It's that Chris's parents and your parents and all of our parents, we're not the only people in the world. Chris goes out into the world and he interacts with other humans. I have always been suspicious of pity. But people seem desperate to want to give it. If you're in a wheelchair, the amount of people who will just come up to you in the street and say, oh, you're an inspiration, it's good to see people like you out. What the hell does that mean? It's just, you know, because these people still think that, you know, if you're disabled, you're a vegetable. You know, the number of people who, you know, if you're a wheelchair user and you're with someone, you're not getting spoken to first. It's the companion because you're just assumed to be mentally incapable. And so that fuels a lot of anger. And I'd, I'd always, I think part of the reason I played up to it so much was that I had a sort of, you know, dark relish of being able to stick two fingers up to that and say, no, fuck you. I'm going to do it this way. Um, and I don't care what you think. And I'm going to completely mess with your preconceptions of what disability is and screw you. By the way, if you're wondering what Chris means when he says stick two fingers up to it, it's a very rude gesture in England that we in America would call a backwards peace sign and would not be offended by, but yeah, it's rude. Anyway, Chris's life to this point has been about, as he puts it, he says this so many times during our interview, just getting on with it. Getting on with things, getting on with life. Just accepting what is, but refusing to let what is get him down. And so far, right up until that moment with the high school cricket coach, his CP had not really mattered. But the reality in this moment with his high school coach telling him that he can be the scorer, but he can't be on the cricket team, is a realization. His CP does matter. His disability means that he can't be anything he wants to be. And that sucks. I'm sure that that teacher felt that they had done the right thing. They'd given me a role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and it's like those... I see these stories occasionally, you know, where the high school basketball team has, you know, the kid with downs who, you know, in the last game of the year comes on and, and everyone is trying to get this guy to make the shot. And I think he had in mind that kind of image. And that just wasn't me. It was a case of, no, I just want to be one of my peers. I just want to be normal as you as you can be. And I want to go the same way as everybody else. But Chris wasn't the same as everyone else. He didn't even realize it until long after high school ended, but he wasn't treated very nicely during those years. A few years after high school was over, Chris was back home with his friends at the pub. One of his friends was like, oh, man, Chris, you put up with a lot of shit in high school. It was a stunning moment that stays with me because I was amazed that anyone had noticed. But also I realized that I hadn't noticed because you just you just got on with it. What did he mean by, like, you put up with a lot of shit? I used the wheelchair a lot at the time. And, you know, 
I would leave it places and then go walk around and come back to it and my wheelchair would be gone and it would be halfway across the school field. Various bits of mine were trashed. So Chris has been getting these two dueling messages. The first one is, get on with it. Don't let this CP hold you back. And the second is, your CP makes you different. And we're going to hold that against you. I had a lot of what I would think of as half friends. So a lot of people who one day they'd be part of the gang that was giving you stick and the next day they're sound as a pound, you know, good mates and it's safe. Not knowing where you stand is torture. All of this is torture, by the way. But Chris did know where he stood in terms of high school romance. It was not a possibility, not even a consideration. I wasn't part of the game, you know. You need not apply. Um, So much of my body image issue now is me, I struggle to shake that. Like, you're allowed to have, like, a crush on a girl, but only, like, in a cute way. Like, in a... Oh, not even that. No, you'd be be mocked for that. I would be mocked for that. And was. Yeah. It's... (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's tough. Because you grow up with that and you take that stuff on. It sucks to have kids steal your wheelchair. It sucks to be made fun of. It sucks to not date when all your friends are dating. But Chris didn't feel like he could say that even to himself. He couldn't be mad at his CP without somehow disappointing the people around him who thought of him as brave and inspirational, as like a kid who wasn't held back by his disability. So Chris didn't say it. He didn't complain. He just got on with it. It's so ingrained in our culture that you do just get on with it because that's what you're expected to do. Chris was looking forward to college when everyone would be way past this kind of shit. Another thing they tell you about university is that things are different when you get to university. You're all in the same boat. You're all equal. You're all starting out in the big wide world. There won't be this prejudicial level because of disability or anything else. What was the reality for you socially? It was a tamer version of high school. And I did make some very strong friendships there, it must be said. And in high school, I made strong friendships. But there was a lot of condescension and I got round that by playing up to the disability thing so I would go to a lot of clubs uh, in the wheelchair and just I was on the dance floor constantly and I'll tell you what you know if you ever want to get a dance floor going bring a wheelchair because it's just I don't know why but people go nuts for it but I played up to that to try and get ahead Uh, it didn't work people are superficial on some levels particularly at that age So when you say you played into it to get ahead, like you just, like a part of you knew that it's kind of like what people wanted to see you do? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's very easy to play into that. It's being that that disabled one who doesn't care and doesn't see disability in that way and just says, fuck it, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move past that. People like to see that. And so you say, okay, if that's the way I'm going to be accepted, then 
I can't make my disability not exist, but I'm going to play the cards I'm dealt for all it's worth and go from there. There's only so long you can play into what people expect from you when it doesn't line up with who you are and how you feel. And Chris didn't last long. Chris stopped going to class and his grades were dismal. He was failing and he was not raised to fail. I didn't attend a lecture from, oh, the middle of March through to the May when I was discovered. Uh, I had failed, but like I say, that's because my mental health was shot to bits. And I always attributed that and still do to, you know, the academic pressures, the social environment and a billion other things. I never factored in high school until a couple of years ago. And the more you look back, you say, oh, that mental health fuse, that was set alight there. In 2007, Chris failed out of university. And he felt like he'd failed at everything. April 2007, I spent that entire month researching and thinking about how to die. But when I'd found a method and when I'd found a way and a means and I knew what I was going to do and had a sense of when I would do it, you know, the worst has already happened at that point. So that wasn't scary. The problem wasn't just that Chris had failed at school and therefore believed that he had pretty much failed at life. Chris's mom takes him to the doctor. And she said, I think you have depression. And that was the scariest thing that had happened in my life to that point. I was a miserable screw-up who'd failed at everything um, and just needed to die, but I wasn't mad. Th that's the line of thinking that was in my head at that time. You're like, I'm not... Look, there's nothing wrong with my mind. Yep, I have just screwed up. Right. Don't say there's anything going on in my, in my head that I need to look at. I have just failed spectacularly. Chris gets a diagnosis of depression, and he adds that to the list of things he's dealing with. Chris spent the next nine years just trying to keep himself busy. He worked some part-time jobs, he volunteered, he got really into singing and music. He'd always actually been into singing. But during these years, he discovers and gets super into traditional Georgian music. That's the singing you've been hearing in this episode. Anyways, he stays busy, and it's all a way of trying to keep himself from dwelling on the negative thoughts that he had failed at college, that he had failed at life, that his body was a failure. It's his way of just trying to stay busy and get on with it. And I adjusted to the mental health diagnosis enough that it sort of became another part of the normality. Somebody who sees you from the outside during those nine years, what would they say about you? I think I was trying to present that, you know, some terrible things had happened, but I was, you know, moving on. Um, you know, that I wasn't just a sad wreck who, who sat at home watching his 20s, you know, roll out. Um, but I really struggle to answer your question. But I think that speaks to the just lack of sort of identity that I had at that time. Chris described this as his lost years. 
And during these lost years, Chris saw mental health therapists here and there. He took lots of different antidepressant medications. He eventually started being open with friends and family about his mental health. And some days he felt okay, but that was about as good as it got. And then it's 2016. That's after we come back. Hello, parents, children who may be listening to this, and people who just like to know stuff. We want to introduce you to a new podcast for kids, families, and again, just people of all kinds called Smash Boom Best from the makers of Brains On, which is another great podcast you should be listening to. Smash Boom Best explores the biggest and probably most important debates of our time, things like cats versus dogs, tacos versus pizza, or super strength versus super speed. Hans, what would you prefer? Cats versus dogs. He's so public radio, he won't weigh in. He's got he's to get the facts first. This is what I deal with. I'm like, it's dogs, obviously. Moving on. Anyway, Smash Boom Best is an important show because it's a show that helps kids defend their opinions and teaches them some cool facts along the way. You can find it wherever. If you're listening to a podcast, I don't need to tell you where to find a podcast. Where'd you find this one? That's where you'll find the other one. Yeah, you'll just look it up. Smash Boom Best. So we're back. It's January of 2016. Chris is 27 years old. And he'd expected by this age to have graduated university and to have established a professional career. And instead, he spent the last nine years with depression. You know, watching my peers go into the distance, succeeding and achieving and, you know, graduating, having relationships, getting married, working, traveling, and these things that I'm not doing very much of because I'm still trying to get my head screwed on. It's really hard to feel stuck in time when everyone else in your life is just soaring off into the future. It's hard to manage a physical disability along with a mental illness. It's all just hard. And that January, it got really dark again for Chris. I had been severely depressed uh, for a couple of months and was really thinking that I might kill myself. The January was really grim. I don't know how I got through that January. I remember I was, my parents were away and I was looking after the house and I, I woke up one morning uh, in a fetal position on my bedroom floor and I didn't know how I'd got there. There was a bottle of wine which was distressingly empty. I was stuck, I was lost, I was depressed, uh, and I was a mess. Um, that was a, a crushing sort of weight to know that you might never be able to be right, that you were always going to go through this perpetual cycle of depression, getting well, maybe feeling good for a couple of weeks and then falling off and then spiraling down again and then back up again and then down again and just forever and ever, amen. 
Um, if you had asked me in the January, what are you going to be doing in May? The question would have made no sense. I, I just would have said, I can't see May. You know, I might survive until then, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I don't know uh, what state I'll be in. And there's a, I think what people don't get about depression so often is that, you know, we talk about when you don't feel depressed, but that's not the same as feeling good. Chris wants to feel good, and he works hard to try to claw his way there. My therapist was very supportive and tried a different type of therapy than what we've been doing, which was very successful. I was starting to get the hang of things at work, and it was trying to, and it it was starting to come together, and I was starting to feel that I might not I might not have to die quite so quickly. And then there was, you know, there was a party I remember that I that I was, you know, saving up the time for, you know, I want to get to that, want to get to that. And, you know, just these little markers along the way. And May 18th was, that day started, it was a Wednesday. It was my therapy day. And I had a couple of hours beforehand and I live, there's a park basically across the road from me. And it was a glorious sunny day. And I went for my walk, which I always tried to do before session. And the circuit of that part takes me about 20 minutes. And about halfway round, I, for whatever reason, I knew I was going to be okay. I knew I was going to get through it. I, I saw the progress I'd been making. And it just sort of spilled over. I just started laughing. I just, I, I have never been manic, but I think that's the closest I'm ever going to get, and it was amazing. Staggered the rest of the 20-minute circuit, got in the car, drove over to my appointment, bounced into therapy, had a really good session, bounced out, went home, called a load of people uh, that I hadn't called in forever, cooked a load of stuff, went on another walk for half an hour, called another bunch of people, made a couple of... Um, music purchases that I'd been meaning to do forever, got some work done and just, it was, it was an emotionally, it was a complete firework display. I, I hope that day will stay with me for as long as I live because that was a, a stunning experience of just, I knew I was going to be okay. If you'd asked me on May 18th what, what I was going to be doing in September, I'd have said, hey, I don't know, but I want to find out. Let's go do it. The momentum had shifted. For the first time in a long time, Chris felt like he had a future. As Chris told us, sometimes it just overflows into good. You can't really pinpoint why it was this moment. But in this moment, things were going to be okay. Not perfect, but okay and maybe even good. Chris spent that summer going to music festivals, singing, teaching, listening. On his 28th birthday, he was at a folk camp, like a music camp, in the north of England. And he was feeling good. He was feeling really good. And there's a band playing, and they're practicing traditional English music. And they strike up music for a dance called a Kaylee. It's folk dancing. It's I can't really describe to you what a Kaylee is. Um, because I don't Kaylee very often. Um, but it's, if I say country dancing, it'll be, it makes sense in an English context, but in an American context, that may be something different. <laughs> it's definitely um, different. <laughs> I thought it might be. 
It's actually not that different. I'm an idiot. It's not line dancing, but it's like American square dancing. do si do swing your partner round and round, that sort of thing. I would normally sit those out, but heck, it was my birthday. And so I took part in the first dance, and about halfway through, no, it's only a few minutes long, I thought, oh no, I can't do it. I can't keep up. And I have never felt so old and so past it and so warm as I did then. Except my knees just felt like they were ready to just buckle and curl up and just say, no, Chris, we're not going to do this anymore. He was just doing one dance with his friends, with actual elderly people. And his legs, which don't talk to his brain that well, just gave up on him. Chris is 28 years old. It's his birthday, and he is laying in bed, completely exhausted. Physically, I've run a marathon. Physically, I've run an absolute marathon. I took my boots off, and my feet had blistered after five minutes of dancing. You know, just from the physical exertion of the thing. I I have feet that wouldn't take my weight for... 20 minutes afterwards just because I couldn't stand it. You know, as soon as I'd taken the weight off my feet, they were like, yeah, we're going into hibernation now. For all the work he's done on his brain and his mind, his body still turns around and does this. I'm pissed off with my... No, I'm not pissed off. I am livid. I'm angry and and I'm upset with my... that I can't do what I want to do. Chris is still a person with serious physical limitations. Someone who doesn't get eye contact from people on the streets. Someone who hasn't had a romantic relationship yet. Someone who deserves, like any of us, to be able to feel all the realities of his life. And to talk about them, too. Because Chris has a good life. And a hard life. He has a life he loves and a body that lets him down a lot. And that is the part that won't change, no matter how much Chris insists he's just getting on with it. I don't know where I fit. The problem comes that because the narrative that I had around disability growing up is one that a lot of my peers and people my age with disability in the UK have, You know, it's this very positive thing, you know, the social model. The issue isn't barriers um, in your condition. It's barriers put up by society. But that leaves you no space and no tools and no way to say, can we talk about the fact that I can't run anymore? You know, I've hit my 20s and I cannot run. I cannot do that. And I, I didn't know you were allowed to feel resentment to your disability. I had never heard a disabled person say, I'm okay with my disability, but I don't like this bit. And I struggle with this bit. And I can be positive around what I can do and what I will try to do, but there are some bits of this that are still shit. Because you'd like to be able to move forward and say, actually it's this, and I can be positive, and I can be negative, and those Two things are not mutually exclusive and not contradictory, and I can have all of these aspects of disability. Chris has started to write about these feelings publicly on a blog. 
He started to talk with other disability activists about these gray areas. I remember a friend of mine who's a disability activist in Europe and travels a lot on the continent. And she said, Chris, I'm having these conversations behind closed doors with people all the time. All the time. And no one wants to talk about it publicly because it's so off message. We're not talking to Chris because his terrible thing is CP. We're talking to Chris because his terrible thing is having CP in a world where people want to pretend like they don't see the differences that Chris lives with, or where people want him to just be their inspiration. Chris is not here on Earth just to inspire us with his life. And he's not here just to wallow, either. All my posts come up under humanoid kintsuki. And kintsugi is a, a Japanese term, which is basically taking broken plates and pottery and repairing them with gold lacquer work along the lines of the smash. And so you have these repairs, but beautifully done, but just along the lines of the chance of the smash. And I feel that half the world wants to see only the smash and half the world wants to see only the gold. And I'd quite like to see both. And I'd quite like to be able to say, you know, let's do both and let's talk about both and let's have that humanity. The break and the repair are all a part of the history and value of an object or a person. Chris is here, like all of us, having a full-on roller coaster of an experience. There's no ignoring his physical limitations. They've shaped his life, and they've shaped his personality and his worldview, and they always will. Chris will never not have CP. It will never just be a memory of his or a story about his past. It's a part of his present and a part of his future. There is no roadmap for this. And that's the difficult bit. It's not like depression where we can sort of say, well, if you look at these things, you know, and if you do these things, we're not saying you will get better, but there's strong chances. You know, your odds increase. You asked me what those years, 2007, 08 to 2016 were like, and I said, you know, lack of identity, lack of direction. I have one now. You know, I started studying to be a therapist in 2016. I went back to university, which was a huge deal in, you know, 2017. And, you know, it, it's nice to have that sense of direction and purpose. And yes, actually, this is something that I could do well. Long way to go. Therapists are always in training. But this is the right thing for me to be doing now. Chris doesn't want your applause and he doesn't want your pity. He just wants to be broken and golden. Terrible some days. Okay on others just like any of us.
I'm Nora McNerney, and this has been terrible. Thanks for asking. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Hannah Meacock-Ross is our project manager. And really, Hannah, you are, I would say, the the sun in our universe, if that's the center of the universe. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know enough to be making these claims. Muna Shekhomar is our intern, and she's graduating from college. Yay, Muna! You can read Chris's writing at his blog. It's me, myself, and disability.wordpress.com. And is all spelled out. Also, you can just, you can just Google that phrase. Why, why do I have to tell people how to spell things? They know. You know how to find something. If I say me, myself, and disability.wordpress.com, I trust you'd be able to find it. And if you can't, send us a tweet. We'll send it to you. We are a production of American Public Media, and our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. It's Joffrey with a G. Look him up. <laughs>